0: Our scripture lesson tonight comes from Exodus chapter 14, verses 5 to 25, which will be on the screen, but also in your Bibles on page 58, if you want to follow along there. So this is the story of crossing the Red Sea. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the minds of Pharaoh and his officials were changed towards the people, and they said, what have we done, letting Israel leave our service? So he had his chariot made ready and took his army with him. He took 600 picked chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. The Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the Israelites, who were going out boldly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots, his chariot drivers and his army. They overtook them, camped by the sea, by Pi-Harehoth in front of Baal-Zephon. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back. And there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone and let us serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid stand firm and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. Then the Lord said to Moses, why do you cry out to me? Tell the Israelites to go forward, but you lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it, that the Israelites may go into the sea on dry ground." Then I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they will go in after them, and so I will gain glory for myself over Pharaoh and all his army, his chariots and chariot drivers, and the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gained glory for myself over Pharaoh, his chariots and his chariot drivers. The angel of God who was going before the Israelite army moved and went behind them, and the pillar of cloud moved from in front of them and took its place behind them. It came between the army of Egypt and the army of Israel. And so the cloud was there with the darkness, and it lit up the night. One did not come near the other all night. Then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night and turned the sea into dry land, and the waters were divided. The Israelites went into the sea on dry ground, the waters forming a wall for them on their right and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went into the sea after them, all of Pharaoh's horses, chariots, and chariot drivers. At the morning watch, the Lord in the pillar of fire and cloud looked down upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheel so that they turned with difficulty. The Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Thank you to Ann Leader. My one. Here we go. Here we go. Thank you to Ann Leader for reading that very long excerpt <laughs> with some very hard Hebrew words in it. I appreciate that. Let's pray. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Here in the Easter season, we are spending some time in Old Testament stories in which God delivers us from places of death to places of life. We looked at the empty tomb just a few weeks ago, but God's delivering power goes way, way back, as you know. Last week, Will took us into the story of the call of Abram, a text about a journey, or really two journeys, I guess, First, the journey of Abram with his father Terah, which unexpectedly stopped at Haran. And second, God's call to Abram and Sarai to go from that place to a land God would show them, which they did. As Will told us, we don't have any evidence from the story of Abram to that point that Abram would have left Haran or done anything in particular, but for God's call on his life, God's vision for his future and God's promise to Abram through which all creation would be blessed. In other words, as Will told us, Abram was pretty much stuck. And into that stuckness, I think that's a phrase we've coined here at the Five at First, into that stuckness came God with unasked for blessing and a journey to a promised land. Here in the book of Exodus, we learn that God's promise to Abram is being fulfilled. His descendants are many, so many, in fact, that the king of Egypt, the Pharaoh, has gotten pretty worried about the numbers of Israelites and the possibility that they would band together and rise up against him. So, Pharaoh has forced the Israelite people into slavery. Exodus 1 tells us that the Egyptians made their lives bitter with hard service and mortar and brick and in every kind of field labor, they were ruthless in all the tasks that they imposed on them. This narrative might be familiar. certainly has all the drama we could want from the groans of the Israelites laboring under the Egyptian sun to Moses, being born into what would certainly have been death and hidden in the rushes to be found by an Egyptian princess and then actually raised by his own mother, To the burning bush. When was the last time any of you saw a bush spontaneously catch fire? The call of the Lord to Moses to go lead the Israelites out of Egypt. To the ten plagues. When was the last time you saw frogs falling from the sky? The plagues that visit Pharaoh and the Egyptians. To the first Passover feast. And finally, to the text and just read. The moment in scripture when Moses and lest we have not enough drama, pillars of cloud and fire lead the Israelites across a body of water, the Red Sea, out of Egypt and into the wilderness. It's really no wonder that Hollywood has been so enamored of this story. (laughs) We all remember the movies The Ten Commandments and maybe more recently the Disney animated movie The Prince of Egypt, not to mention the countless movies that aren't so literally about this crossing the Red Sea text, but are about themes of deliverance, of being saved from oppression or slavery or even broader injustice. Exodus is kind of everywhere. Exodus is a band. We're not going to play any Exodus tonight. (laughs) Exodus is a Bob Marley song, also not going to appear in this service. (laughs) And Exodus, like the story of Abram, is a text about a journey the journey through oppression, and then, with our scripture tonight, a journey out of Egypt across a body of water, a boundary that surely looked to the Israelites to be impassable. More important than all of that, Exodus is a text that shows us that God delivers us. God deliver us, delivers us from slavery, and draws us from death to life, over and over again. Remember, God promised blessing to Abram. So when the fulfillment of that promise is endangered, when God's own people are enslaved in Egypt, it is God's purpose to deliver them. This is part of God's promise. We hear in Exodus 2 that the Israelites groaned under their slavery, and they cried out. And out of their slavery, their cry rose up to God. God heard their groaning, And God remembered his covenant with Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And God answered those groans, calling Moses and telling him quite specifically in Exodus 3, I have observed the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them from the Egyptians and to bring them up to that land, to a good and broad land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Exactly. In the midst of the sufferings of the Israelites, God has a plan. And the end of that plan will be awfully good for the Israelites if they can just get to that broad land flowing with milk and honey, that is. So let's look closely at the action in today's text. It's a long text, and there are lots of sort of repetitive phrases that convey certain things, like Pharaoh and the chariot drivers and the chariots, and all of that distracts us from what's happening and conveys to us only that Pharaoh and the pursuers were many. There were a lot of people mobilized to chase the Israelites. Let's look instead at the action. Pharaoh has let the Israelites go, And as the text tells us, they were going out boldly, going out boldly. This is what we would expect, right? They've been oppressed and enslaved. They have been laboring. They are presumably exhausted. The window of freedom has opened, and they are going to get right out of Dodge or Egypt. And they set out confidently, boldly, probably quickly. Ah. But the Egyptians pursued them. All those chariots and chariot drivers and all of Pharaoh's army pursued them. And as Pharaoh's army drew closer to them, the Israelites, the text tells us, looked back. Like so many characters in our scriptures, they took their eyes off the path God had set out in front of them and focused on the pursuers coming up behind them. And this is when they lose it. Listen again. As Pharaoh drew near, the Israelites looked back, and there were the Egyptians advancing on them. In great fear, the Israelites cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us, bringing us out of Egypt? Is this not the very thing we told you in Egypt? Let us alone, let us serve the Egyptians, for it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. This is a pretty big shift. The Israelites are no longer moving boldly toward their new life in God's promised land. We can imagine here a scene of panic, a cacophony of questions and laments, the Israelites crying out in great fear to the Lord. No more bold forward strides. They've gotten stuck here on the path that should be leading them to freedom. They've become paralyzed with fear and they begin to bombard Moses with questions and then out and out accusations. They turn on Moses. They turn to the one who was going before them on the road to freedom and accuse him of setting them up to die in the wilderness. Just like that. They're convinced that it would have been better for them to have stayed enslaved than to be where they are. Can you imagine the noise, the chaos, the panic that has overtaken the Israelites? The Red Sea is in front of them, remember, it's still water. The Egyptians are coming up hard and fast behind them and fear and doubt overtake them. Then into that moment of noise and distraction, Moses said to the people, do not be afraid, stand firm, and see the deliverance that the Lord will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still, to be still and know that God is God to be still and let God be God, the Lord will fight for you, and you have only to keep still. There are two important verbs in that sentence. Alan's laughing at me, but we're about to do a Hebrew word study. (laughs) First, Moses tells the Israelites that God will fight for them. The Hebrew word translated here as fight is l'cham, Lacham does not just mean fight, like a one-on-one spat. It does not mean advocating for someone or speaking out on behalf of someone. It does not mean fisticuffs. Lacham means to wage war. Lacham here means not just that God will fight, but that God is implementing a battle strategy, a big-picture plan that includes the fight and its outcome. Remember, this is the same God who got Abram unstuck, blessed him, showed him a new land. This is the God who has heard the cries of the oppressed Israelites. This God has a plan and is here to do battle to deliver God's people and fulfill God's promise. But the Israelites have lost sight of that in this moment. So Moses tells them that they have only to keep still. Still. We can almost hear the stillness echoing as the Israelites stop moving because when we stop moving, we don't make a sound. We can almost hear the stillness as they stop crying and chattering and accusing. We can hear the stillness echoed in Psalm 46. Be still and know that I am God. Still is a verb here. It is the Hebrew word haresh and it means here to cause yourself to be silent, speechless, dumb. To cause yourself to be still. And their panic. The Israelites can't see what God has done, what God is doing, even as they walk out of slavery. Be still, Moses tells them. Be still so that God can be God and get you out of here. Be still so that God can fight for you. Be still so that God can fulfill God's promise for your lives. It makes me wonder where in our own lives we need the same reminder. I have thankfully never been in a circumstance of forced labor or oppression from which I needed to be delivered, but I have had the experience of being silenced and quite frankly, kind of without my own choosing. As most of you know or might guess, I'm a bit of a talker. (laughs) Now Alan's really laughing. (laughs) I enjoy conversation and I enjoy people and words, the language itself, and I talk a good bit. I'm also a planner and a person who likes to get things done. In sum, I am an extroverted list maker. And 10 years ago, I was an extroverted list maker attending seminary. I had not ever thought about going to seminary, had not planned it. When the opportunity came my way, it was enough of a surprise that I stepped off the path that I thought I had made for myself to take the time to see what seminary was about. Even still, if I'm honest, I was eager to tick off the boxes on the list of my life. Looking back, maybe it wasn't surprising that with my tendency to want to get it all done and to talk my way through the doing, (laughs) I couldn't quite see clear to the path God might have for me. Maybe I was fearful that God would actually want something or doubtful that I could do it. But I recognized that I was stuck and that I needed to be somewhere else to be still enough to hear God. Amidst this cacophony of my own thoughts, I went to Africa for eight months. I'm pointing to Vic and Barbara, they're about to go to the town I was in. I went to a little town called Stellenbosch, South Africa, where the main languages spoken were Afrikaans, which is a language derived from the Dutch of the colonists who settled that area, and Fulsa. And yes, I just clicked, I had to practice this, I hadn't done it in a while is a regional black language. Well, I spoke neither, not a word. I was a good traveler, so I had no problem getting myself out of the Cape Town airport and over to Stellenbosch and to a student housing office where one person spoke English. But once I was inside my little student dorm room apartment and on my own, the silence around me was almost overwhelming. I didn't know a single soul I didn't have a telephone. I didn't have internet access, which was spotty even at internet cafes at that point. I didn't have any transportation except for my own two feet. I bought groceries and I walked through an art museum and I poked around at the seminary where I would eventually study. But for one whole week, I said basically nothing out loud. It was the longest and deepest silence of my life. And to this day, it is one of the few times when I can honestly say that I was still. You can probably guess what happened to me in that week. I learned that Africa time is very different from ours, (laughs) and that my daily to-do lists were in vain. I learned that I heard more around me when I wasn't talking, from birds and children laughing, to a woman who rode by me on a bicycle and called out, please pray for my son, I would later get to know that woman and her son, and if I hadn't been sitting there still on a bench, and frankly only because I had nowhere else to be, our paths might never have crossed. I learned in my stillness that I couldn't multitask my way into my own future, and more importantly, I learned that when I'm still, God can show me what that future is. Thomas Merton, the 20th century monk and poet and social activist wrote much about his spiritual journey, including his experiences with solitude and stillness. He wrote this, in the stillness we find God, and in God our true identity. Our true identity as God's children, as recipients of blessing, promise and a future that God has in store for us. A text about a people who were literally on the run from a tyrant might be a surprising place to find an instruction to be still. But fear and doubt had overtaken the Israelites, with the result that they immediately assumed that they should have stayed in Egypt. Perhaps it is the same with us. I think when we lean on our own understandings, we forget God's promise to direct our paths. And when we do step out on a new path and it starts to look iffy, we're quick to panic and to think that maybe we were better off wherever we were before. When fear and doubt take over, they're the only things we can hear. And we're more likely to get stuck than to move boldly forward. The good news is that just as Moses told the panicked Israelites, God will implement God's plan, not just for us, but for all of creation. And yet the stillness is really hard, countercultural even. We're not only bombarded with actual noise, and not all of it is bad, certainly, we're constantly receiving messages that tell us to be self reliant, to take charge, to do our best, to keep moving to seize the day, to make ourselves heard, that we can do whatever we put our minds to, this list could go on and on and on. Again, not all with bad results, but what if we stepped back from all of these messages and tried to be still, to wait on God and God's plan, to cause ourselves to be speechless so that we can hear God and know our true identity before we do anything else. In our world today, that would be a radical act. But that's what happened to the Israelites in Exodus. They were silenced, and then they moved forward, able to do what had appeared to be impossible. They crossed the Red Sea, walking on dry ground. They were led by Moses and aided by the pillars of cloud and fire so that they could see, even in the night, the path that God had laid out before them. And in a lovely turn of parallelism, the scripture tells us that at the morning, the Lord and the pillar of fire and cloud looked upon the Egyptian army and threw the Egyptian army into panic. He clogged their chariot wheels so that they turned with difficulty. And the Egyptians said, let us flee from the Israelites, for the Lord is fighting for them against Egypt. The Lord was getting them unstuck delivering them from oppression and moving into their stillness to show them their futures. We probably, I'm assuming, are not slaves running from a ruthless pharaoh, but there are still circumstances that hold us. There are experiences, whether illness or just inertia or insecurity or addiction or a job loss, the death of a loved one, self-criticism, the pressure to succeed, the end of a relationship, this list could also go on and on, experiences that strike fear in our hearts and leave our minds full of doubt that we're still on the path God has given us. But even in the midst of these noises of our lives, God is fighting for us and fulfilling God's promise to us. We have only to be still. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.